that would be my advice for anyone who's running a company, you know, right now, who's thinking about, do our customers or our clients know if our claims are legitimate? It's like, just default to transparency. Tap into the minds of change makers creating real impact on people and our planet. It's time to live your purpose. I'm your host, Dale Wilkinson, and this is Good Makers. Hey, what is up? Welcome to episode 60 of Good Makers. If this is your first time here, make sure you smash that subscribe button. Each week we have interviews with social entrepreneurs and people that are making a real difference in this world. The whole goal of these interviews is to understand why they do it and how they do it so you can get some actionable tips to integrate into your career. If you're in the market for a new job and you haven't visited goodgigs.app, what are you waiting for? Go over there, you can sign up for a weekly newsletter which sends all the latest jobs in whatever category that you're looking for. We have hundreds of freelance, full-time and remote jobs from mission-driven companies all across the US. This episode, I got to sit down with my Twitter pal, Corey Ames, who is the CEO and co-founder of Grow Ensemble, which is a social impact media and education platform. We have been following each other on Twitter for some time now, so I'm glad we got to sit down and understand a little bit more about our backgrounds and how we both became interested in social impact and how we went and started our own businesses. We also chop it up a little and discuss what we're seeing in terms of trends when it comes to social enterprise. You're going to love Corey. He's such a good human and he's doing some really good work at Grow Ensemble. So sit back and listen to our conversation. This episode is going to be a little different. I wanted to connect with Corey because there's so many good people in the social impact space. We're working on similar things. Corey is the founder of Grow Ensemble, which is a social impact media and education platform. And this whole episode is just us chatting, chatting about what the state of social enterprise is at the moment, what trends we're seeing, what opportunities we're seeing, all so that listeners can capitalize on that. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to, to be here, Dale. Thank you so much for welcoming me on. And I, I think we'll as well be publishing this on, on our feed with the, the Social Entrepreneurship and Innovation Podcast for our listeners uh, tuning into this. So thanks again. Uh, for doing this exchange. But I, one thing that I'd love if we could start with, Dale, because I'm always curious uh, as, as I start to connect with more folks in the space of social impact and sustainability, I'd love to know, I know this is something we're kind of queuing up, what, what, what's the origin story? You know, how, how did you get into to pursuing this type of work, take this interest in it? And why yeah. this level of, of purpose and, and meaning in your work, why did that become so important to you? I think... I mean, it would have been, you know, a, a range of things as you grow up. But I think a few pivotal uh, points in my life were when I was a teenager. And these are two pivotal kind of points that, that, that coincided. One from a big family, one of seven kids and my uh, sister closest to me, who was a few years older than me. I think when I was 16, she was diagnosed with cancer. She's all good now. She's healthy, survived. But finding that out when you're a teenager what we did was we joined this nonprofit 
in Australia called Canteen, which is teenagers living with cancer and their siblings. So they would put on these camps during school holidays and you would go and, you know, meet other teenagers that had cancer and their siblings as well. So that was, you know, you go from typical teenage stuff mm. and then all of a sudden you're faced with one of your siblings potentially dying and then meeting all these other kids that were younger than that that were also facing the same thing and what had happened is that we did make friends with people through this nonprofit with other kids other teenagers that some didn't survive you know so i think from a very young age i was dealing with losing people that 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 you loved so that really kind of was a wake up call and at the same time I grew up in a small country town, 5,000 people, kind of realizing about my sexuality and coming to terms with that. I think from that history and having that experience, I was always drawn to other people that kind of felt different and had experienced some kind of adversity. So I think those two things were really pivotal in where I'm at now. As a teenager, Growing up in a, a small country town, did did you stay in Australia for, for university or did you head elsewhere? Yeah. So, no, I, I stayed in Australia as soon as I finished high school. As you can imagine, small country town, <laughs> I left. And, you know, a gay kid. <laughs> so, I'm, I'm going to the first city that, that I can. So, I did leave my hometown and I went to Melbourne. Then I moved to Sydney for seven years and that's kind of where I got into marketing, advertising, then later production. This whole idea of working on causes that you cared about and you know making a career out of it, that wasn't that wasn't in my head. Mm. I don't think that happened until near the end of my time in Sydney when I was working for News Corp which is, you know, they own Fox, they own, they owned MySpace, a big media company. And I was selling ad space on the internet and doing stuff I really didn't care about. And I read this, A New Earth by Eckhart Tolle. Hmm. And that just blew my mind. As soon as I finished that book, the next day I quit my job. (laughs) I was like, I can't be, I can't be working in advertising. What am I doing with my life? Mm. And then I found this volunteer program. At this point, I'd never left Australia, never never done an international trip. I found a volunteer program that you could help build homes uh, for the homeless in, in, in Vietnam. And I thought that's a pretty cool way to, A, do my first trip and and work on something that, you know, that was pretty cool. Do you revisit that book now and again or... Was that the first and last time that you read that? First and last time. I'm scared of reading that again (laughs) (laughs) to like question where I'm at. Did I make the right choices? Do I need to make even more drastic choices? Mm. Has there been one book for you that's been a game changer? I read uh, the the four hour work week by Tim Ferriss when I was 17 in high school as off a recommendation from my brother. And right. I read it then and it it really, I had always struggled with before that, um, wondering what I was going to do with my life. 
even at like at 17, I was always oddly obsessed with this question. Not necessarily of like, you know, what am I going to be doing when I'm 30, 40, 50, whatever, but like what, what kind of skills am I going to learn? Like, you know, maybe what kind of like profession will I take on? Because first mm -hmm. of all, no one knows anything when they're 17. No one knows anything when they're 20, 21, we we but I, I right. had friends who seemed certain of themselves of like, oh, I'm going to med school or I'm going to do X, Y, and Z and go be this thing. I look at those friends now and most of them didn't do what they said, you know, totally fine for better, or for worse, you know, it, it doesn't so much matter, but it was more of my obsession. But I always thought about this. I'm like, I'm never particularly remarkable at one thing, but I'm good at a lot of things. It's kind of how I, I feel about my my competencies and capabilities. But reading that book in particular, which I've come to have some kind of mixed feelings uh, about it in particular, there's a whole movement that kind of got created out of Tim Ferriss's sort of way he sees the world. But it really unlocked something for me that it was like, it, I, I still, I can learn and, and acquire whatever skills that I need to, you know, to create what I want to in my own life. So it was like this one thing, I'm sure people have this sort of realization in different ways to where they're like, oh, learning is great and I can learn anything, you know, like where you think more so that your, your brain and your skill sets are moldable, you know, and kind of move from this fixed to growth mindset where you're like, no, I can learn stuff. I can get better at things than I was previously. But likewise, that opened up for me this, this concept of kind of like living on my own terms, because that's really what is the, the overall like sentiment and message of that book and what he's trying to share. And so that seed got planted with me like at that age. And I took that with me to uh, college. And I remember explicitly thinking like my freshman year in college, like I got to think of some sort of business idea or something. And so I kept thinking through that and like what I was going to do. And I remember thinking to my friends, I was like, if I had a good enough idea, I think I'm going to leave school early. But I, I spent a few years really thinking through like, what's the, the thing that I start and do? And my, my brother, who's continuing to work somewhat in the online space, running an e-commerce company, you know, he recommended learning how to build a website and like drive traffic to it and stuff like that. It's like, that's a good thing probably to start with. And so you know, I tried to start a number of websites and none of them really made sense to me or took off in any sort of way. I started like a personal blog and did a little bit of writing that way. And no one read it, you know, but my mom. But finally, I came across an idea of building what is still called, I guess, an affiliate site, which is essentially a site that is just built off of content predominantly and driving a whole bunch of traffic to the site. Uh, and then ultimately that traffic and that site serves as a portal to others, you know? And so you sell products from four other companies essentially don't fulfill on anything. You're really kind of just the traffic person. And so one of these projects after three years in school took off to the extent that I made like, I think $170 in one month. And that was where I thought I was like, I'm an entrepreneur. This is, you know, this is it. <laughs> well, you are. Yeah. <laughs> right. I thought that was it. And, you know, this was going to be the site that I was going to build. And so I dove, you know, with two feet in uh, onto this. And it wasn't actually the site that ended up taking off, but rather it was an opportunity I got as a connection through my brother to work for a digital marketing agency. Another entrepreneur who gave me this promise of sorts to be like, you know, I'm, come and work for me and I'll teach you absolutely everything that I know in digital marketing and will help set you up over a couple of years to start and run your own business. And 
So I took on that offer. It was completely remote and distributed and as the fourth employee when I came on. And then over two and a half years, the company grew to 25 employees and like a couple million in, in revenue. And that owner was the CEO. And then he promoted me to, to take over the CEO position after him. So I moved into the CEO position and that was really the beginning of the end for me at that, at that company in that it was one of those things. How so? Well, thematically, it's kind of one of those things is that I, I t- probably took on something, you know, far, far too early in my, my life, my level of how, maturity. And how old were you at that point? I, I was 22 when uh, I became the, wow. the CEO of that company. And obviously it's like you, it just makes so much sense looking back at it. It's like, there's, you know, professionals with, you know, multi-decade careers in which I'm the CEO of this company, you know, technically managing them, they're reporting to me. And I mean, so many wonderful people, but obviously the, the relationship dynamics and stuff were, were very difficult and challenging. And, and there, there were issues with that company undoubtedly. And this is kind of where things started to separate for me is that there was it, it was a very scrappy couple of co-owners who founded and, and grew this company with the support of folks like myself and in, in different degrees and like kind of building out the back end for them as like they sold and, and grew it. There was oftentimes an issue of, of people wanting and needing things like more competitive pay, benefits, you know, parental leave, all these sorts of things. And there was a narrative that there was never any, there was not enough money to go around at this particular point in time is that it would be, it would always be this kind of when we hit this milestone of growth and when we hit this milestone of growth, but the the company was very, it was completely closed book financials. And so you didn't actually know, you kind of just trusted, you know, so, or you had to, you didn't really have any sort of alternative. It's like, okay, yeah, when the company's bigger and we're growing, we're not going to be so, you know, scrappy and everybody's going to get paid what they need, going to have healthcare and all this kind of stuff. And also I'm 22. So it's just like the gravity of what healthcare means to me as a 22 year old is not the same thing, you know, as, you know, a mother or a father or whomever it is who have children you know, at home. So I'm like, yeah, sure. I'm along for the ride, but just kind of so, you know, right. grossly misunderstanding the, the context of everyone else. But it came into that position. That was the first time that I really kind of got the full purview of how much money was coming into the business and where it was going and how it was being distributed. And so now I'm in this leadership position and I'm getting asked, you know, continuously and, and ultimately responsible for like the, the vision and the roadmap of what's going to happen with this company and, and what sort of infrastructure and stuff is going to be uh, uh, built and procured when. And so those are important things. It's like we did have excellent people working in that company and wholeheartedly believed that they deserve to get, you know, paid what was, you know, suitable and what they deserved and what they earned. And likewise, you know, the, the benefits and everything there, like all, all those sorts of perks and benefits, like that's kind of what I understood. It's like, yeah, as a company grows, it's what we got to do is, you know, support the people who've grown it and been a part of it. But I, I, in seeing that and then noticing that there had been a lot of money moving in and out of the business for a long time. Uh, it was a very, I mean, from just looking at the financials of it and the size that it was, you know, in the scheme of things, it's a relatively small business, but it was an extremely successful and extremely profitable small business. And so, you know, I started to ask some questions about, you know, like what, what would be available to, to invest back in people, invest back in different programs. And I, it started to feel like I had a, a bit less control as the CEO, as I, I thought I might. And 
as well, the two owners themselves didn't have a great relationship with each other. And so one ended up buying out the other one. And so the one who I was very close to, who I still have a great relationship with and, and highly respect, he took off, got bought out and left the company. And so my closest mentor left and I'm kind of here with this other co-owner and he is, while we got along, he's kind of the representation of everything that I uh, don't believe in in the world. I then soon after my, the mentor I was close to left, I decided to resign. What then, like what was the mission behind the podcast? Did you know that you wanted to create your own business around this? Well, the, the effort with the podcast first and foremost was to learn and, and build a community in, in the space. Before in the digital marketing agency and the, even the website that I built beforehand, so my skills were in creating content uh, of some kind and particularly like search engine optimization, SEO, getting that content seen and discovered and to drive uh, traffic from Google. And so my thought was like, all right, let's, let's get back to building content, creating content and you know, start with a podcast first and foremost, but start to build an audience or some kind of semblance of a community around these topics and sustainability and, and social impact. And now you're like you're well over a hundred episodes, right? And then there was a point where you started to build this platform, this media platform around it. Yeah. Well, I think we're, we're like 180 or so right now. Ooh, nearly 200 yeah, episodes. We're, we're nearing it. And yeah, there, there was a, a couple other points that became a bit, I guess, important for the trajectory of what Grow Ensemble is now. It, it's one of those things that, um, I don't know, taking your own advice sometimes and where, you know, I, I think about and what I communicate with, with clients often is like, what's working for you right now and what can you do more of? And as well, what can you do less of? But essentially, like, you know, what do you double down on? Like, what's making you feel good? And then as well, what's driving some sort of, you know, tangible result in one way or another to you know, advance what it is that you're building. And for me, that's always really come back to content and it's, you know, the podcast and I have, you know, the skill sets and being able to get that found. So the next right after that was like, all right, let's start a blog, which is really kind of, that was my core skill set and expertise. And so started the blog. And then really after we started the blog, that's when things like relatively took off for, for where Grow Ensemble is now and a newsletter to follow. And so that's really when started to kind of shape more and more towards officially something of a, a media model. And why I add education onto the other side of it is that, you know, really deeply like the pursuit of everything that we write about, curate, and, and create at Grow Ensemble is like to learn about it first and foremost. So whether we're talking about sustainable denim, you know, which is a, a podcast we got coming out right now, or regenerative agriculture, or sustainable vineyards, you know, it's like all that kind of stuff. I can dive into it for, you know, a, a really good purview and enjoy that. To switch gears into the business trends within the social impact space, you have done 180 episodes, you're doing this education yourself, you're interested in these topics. What have you been seeing in the last couple of years? Are there trends in terms of types of businesses, types of issues that they're focusing on, business models? It's hard to, to piece it all together because there's no one definition of social entrepreneurship. There's no one definition of sustainable business as to what it means to be a sustainable business. So sometimes uh, it gets difficult first and foremost to kind of just get caught up in defining that, you know, of like, what is a purpose-driven business? What is a sustainable business? And and I do think that that, it, it can 
create a bit of confusion and, and as well be used in some ways for, you know, manipulation and marketing as, as there's some quite uh, savvy advertising professionals as part of, you know, many of these much larger multinational brands and, and corporations. And so I, I, I think that that is one of the, the largest trends that I'm noticing just even from the time of starting the podcast is that more people are kind of jumping on the bandwagon, you know, of, of the social awareness, you know, and, and social justice, as well as, you know, sustainability and everything that we've seen you know, acutely with, with what we're facing with the climate crisis. It's like, there's, there's a lot of companies that are getting on board at a minimum with the messaging, but there is an important component of like doing enough digging. And that's kind of like what I do as an exercise through the podcast and the content we create. It's like, you really, really see which companies and people behind them ultimately are really, you know, walking the walk essentially. But that's, that's one thing that I'm noticing. I'm, I'm curious to, to suss out just because there's certifications that exist as well. B Corporation, there's associations that people are just part of that don't really uh, consider a certification like 1% for the planet. I think those are in an interesting space to kind of become more important just as, you know, consumers need to need more quick reference points to determine the legitimacy of, of people's claims. A hundred percent. Both consumers and employees, potential employees. So, you know, on my end, what I've seen is obviously a lot of interest to find mission-driven companies and work for mission-driven companies. But to your point, what's the definition of a mission-driven company yeah. and it is very easy to get distracted with that marketing speak that that you said and i always tell the community members of good gigs to do your digging mm -hmm. really kind of look at the founders who are the investors involved what are they actually doing ask the hard questions in the interview process but is there anywhere you particularly like when you're doing your due diligence on on companies is there anywhere that you specifically go to try and find a little more information that could be more difficult to come by? Yeah. I mean, it, it's, it's a challenge. And then as we go, like, cause this, this is like literally what we do, you know, as, as part of our, our occupation of like content and write-ups that we do, especially when we're, we're reviewing companies and products specifically, cause we do a lot of like product related content too. The more you dig into that exercise, the more that you realize it's quite the endeavor to, you know, sort through different things as to what people say and what the legitimacy is of that, or just where they're at, you know, on, on their progress towards particular, you know, claims and, and messages and communication. And so, you know, I always recommend going straight to the source. So if you are making a purchase, check out the company's website themselves, you know, and, and the ones that you'll see, and this is really where you start to notice the differences. One company I, I absolutely adore who's along these lines a good company, a, a Swedish e-commerce company. They make a variety of, of everyday sustainable goods, notebooks, phone cases, and things. They have their entire supply chain mapped on their site, an interactive map. You can see which factories different materials are, or you know which farms different materials are sourced from, what factories they go to then, and as well, a step-by-step. -step. Like, I'm wondering how many people read this information. I love it and we've worked with them before and I'm like, yeah, this was exactly what I needed to, to produce the content that we have, but I love that it's there. You know, that that's something that they're so serious about that they've documented it. And I, I think you find this, you know, not not everybody has the time to, to do this, I guess, especially if they are a smaller company, but that, that would be my advice for anyone who's running a company, you know, right now, who's thinking about, 
you know, like, oh, are, you know, do our customers or our clients know if our claims are legitimate? It's like just default to transparency, you know, and because and, I think what's very important I mean, speaking to like the circular economy, for one thing, as we're doing a series on the, the, the fashion industry, you know, we're speaking with experts in that space and they still have cha challenges and problems that need to solve in lessening the impact in different components of where they're sourcing materials, you know, how they're producing their products, their garments. And so these are people who are literally at the cutting edge who haven't, you know, the circular economy doesn't necessarily exist yet, right? Like we're trying to transition it to, to get there. And so... These brands and these people aren't perfect, but they're working very hard to, you know, get to, to what's most optimal. But a very key component is that they're very transparent with where they are on that journey. Yeah, it's a great point, right? That transparency, because if there isn't transparency and it is a big enough company that they would have the resources to invest in that storytelling, because that is a, it's a selling point. You know, if they are legitimately investing in sustainability, circularity, that they are going to be telling you about that because, because the consumers want it, the employees want it, all the stakeholders want it. So that's probably a really good indicator that if you don't, or if it's kind of hard to kind of get information from the company, then, you know, maybe it's not all it's uh, cracked up to be. And, and if you, if it is a, smaller company and it's a company that's just starting out as well, but they are a mission-driven company. The ones that are legitimately mission-driven, it is ingrained from day one into their storytelling, their marketing. I, I, I totally agree. I, I, I think that that's, that's an, an interesting thing to take note of too, is, is what is the founding story? You know, because you can, you can start to, to learn a bit as to why someone got into it. And that's something that I notice. I had another example of Dean's Beans. Have you heard of this coffee company by chance? Mm -mm. Uh, nope. Really wonderful company. The, the founder, Dean Sycon. So you, you understand and only learned this just through our, the podcast that we had together. They're here in the Massachusetts uh, area. He started first and foremost as an environmental rights uh, and indigenous rights lawyer. And then went through, oh, and maybe even a step before that is he was in the nonprofit sector. But so much in that, and if we're talking about both environmental components and as well indigenous communities globally, so much had overlap with the coffee industry. And so he saw so many issues in this, this area, first you know, working in the nonprofit sector and then thinking like, okay, no, maybe I should be a lawyer. He didn't like being a lawyer personally and then came to ultimately think, well, if, if people in the coffee industry aren't doing it right, I'm going to start a business myself that I believe can do it right. And he started his coffee company from day one as an above you know, fair trade coffee company himself. But the story of how he got into the business and started the business that he did was based off of impact first and foremost. And you know, they've been around and, and been profitable for I think 20 years. Yeah, digging into the founder's story is a really good point and their history and how they started the company and also where they at at the moment because mm. a lot of these entrepreneurs are pretty vocal and they'll be on twitter they'll be on linkedin they'll be on instagram and they'll be having opinions about everything else as well so i always you know tell the the good gigs community go follow them see what mm. they're talking about see what they support because who are the leaders that are actually behind the company that you're potentially going to buy from or go work for yeah. are there any particular 
issue areas that you see like more businesses getting created around or trying to solve? There's a lot of appeal in generally just like the financing and like impact investing space. I think people are always having questions about, you know, how, how they're to fund their, their social venture. People are, are getting very interested in starting businesses. What about yourself? Is there anything that you're picking up? Yeah, I think looking at the, the companies on good gigs, you get a good indicator based on who's hiring as well and who's who's getting the money. And when we look at the uh, issue of climate change, there's so many different buckets within the environment. So there are plenty of you know companies working on alternative energy, food waste, like you mentioned, sustainable fashion, you know. So if if that is your issue that you really care about, there's so many different ways that you can go in that space. And some really interesting companies with with innovative technology. And I think I always tell job seekers if they're interested in that space, also to, as you mentioned, like with the impact investors, to look for those funds, those those VCs, uh, venture capitalists and their firms, and actually do a Google search that which ones are impact focus mm-hmm. and on their website they'll generally have a list of their portfolio companies and you can you're introduced to a, this whole kind of new group of companies that have been venture backed so they've got money which means they they the people believe in their idea they've got resources to work on a the problem that they're trying to solve but also to hire mm. and expand their team so if you are looking for a, a job to you know check that out as well uh, and in the climate space, there's specific climate career sites, mm-hmm. uh, like Climate Base is one of them, which are doing a fantastic job. Also, I'm seeing a lot in the mental health space, mm-hmm. again, kind of all these different avenues on on how to solve that, you know, right from just therapy online. There seems there's so many startups that are you know, offering virtual therapy and, and therapy online. And then within that, providing therapy services just for women or underrepresented people. Or what's interesting in that space, actually my my neighbor, my old neighbor has a VC-backed mental health company, Options MD, but it's alternative medicine. So it's psychedelics mm. like using ketamine to treat PTSD and things like that. So that's really interesting as well to see that area. Yeah, I, I think there's a thing about the, the space of, of impact and sustainability is that there are some large problems that need to be addressed that aren't going away. And so I, I in conversations, some people will worry about like, is this space saturated in some way? It's like, wow, these problems haven't gone away yet. So I think it's just a matter of finding, you know, where and and how that, you know, you as an individual, or if it's an organization that that you're working with or thinking about starting, like where where that exactly fits in. Because there's so many different ways uh, to get involved. And it's certainly a growing space, which is probably one reason why you and I are part of it. You know, it's growing, very exciting, and as well as a very encouraging and generous space too of, of the people who are in it. You know, companies, leading companies, starting companies, everyone's kind of on the same team. You know, if the objective is to, you know, fight climate change, as an example, it would be weird to stand in the way of someone else's success or contribution to that <laughs> goal. Exactly. Yeah. Each issue area 
there are multiple ways that you can go about solving it and more companies, more social entrepreneurs need you know, to be innovating in that space. And you can't start a company today and expect to be successful without having some kind of impact model. It's, it's expected. Consumers, employees, even the investors, they, they, you know, they all want it. And you can just see even with the existing big global corporations that also working out how do they shift their business models because they won't be able to survive if they don't. Absolutely. All right, Dale. Well, before we, we perhaps call it time here on our, our first podcast session, I'm curious to know what what's new at good gigs right now what's what's one thing that you're maybe most excited about or kind of most focused on at at this moment with good gigs what i'm really excited about at good gigs at the moment we have hey we have a whole bunch of awesome companies on there that are just doing really good things and have a wide variety of open roles in tech marketing design you name it there's 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 a job out there for you what i am really focusing on for the remainder of the year is with our community platform and the programming around that and the workshops that we're gonna uh, start rolling out a workshops around really kind of tactical stuff, level up your LinkedIn, your resume, your cover letter. How do you start networking with your future boss? You know, that those kind of workshops. But more importantly, we're also going to start letting the actual companies into the community and have their hiring managers and their recruiters come in and moderate their own spaces within their community. And they'll be also doing live events, AMAs, where if they have a particular role, let's say they're looking for a VP of marketing, we'll do a live AMA specifically around that. So interested candidates could come to that event, actually get FaceTime with the per- person that will potentially be hiring you. How about you? What's happening over there at Grow Ensemble? Well, at first, that, that sounds very exciting with good gigs. It sounds like it's a, a lot of really important resources for folks. It, it can sometimes seem like a quite the intimidating endeavor to, to get yourself into this field of work and just generally find work that feels good for you. So it seems like immensely valuable resources that y'all are providing. For us, it's starting to do more with what we already have out there in the, the online space, which is really exciting. So as we mentioned earlier in this conversation, we're nearing 200 podcast episodes. I have maybe 10 or so <laughs> in the bank right now. That'll take us to 190. And we've covered a lot of different topics. Damn. <laughs> and with that spanning a, a few different themes, we're really going to start synthesizing and organizing this, this really large library of content that we've created. With every single podcast episode, we have writers on it, we have editors on it, you know, we have myself on it. So every single one, we really try to create something that's you know, going to have value, not just from the moment that we publish it. We want our content and the resources we create to be relevant for you know years to come. So with all that in mind, we're starting to organize and aggregate things together based off of themes, which we're uh, putting into uh, these digital guides. We might do some print-on-demand stuff in the future called our collections. And so our collections will be aggregations of these different posts of podcast episodes together on different themes, sustainable business, social entrepreneurship, plastic pollution, all that kind of stuff. It's so smart. It's such a smart idea. Just make it easier for people to go particularly to that 
collection and do that deep dive on that particular issue. Yeah, we're we're excited to to get them together. It's some work to go through this backlog, but yeah, it's it's been fun to like remind ourselves of like good conversations we've had, you know, and good people that we've met. And you are on my good people list <laughs> for sure, and no doubt we're going to keep on we're going to keep on collaborating. I think it'll be really cool to you know we're working in the same space and let's bring our communities together. Uh, if you're listening, I'm going to have all the links over to Grow Ensemble and over to Corey's podcast as well. Thanks, Dale. And likewise, we'll have all things good gigs linked at, at our post at growensemble.com. Okay, now what I want you to do is check the show notes. You'll find the link to Corey's podcast where you can find all those 180 episodes and also visit Grow Ensemble where you can look at those collections around social issues that Corey was talking about. You can also sign up for his weekly newsletter. Thank you so much again for listening. And if you haven't yet, hit subscribe, keep doing you, keep doing good, and I'll see you next time.